Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for episode 275. 275. 0.6. Mm, it's the 0.6 that gets you every time. Yep. Yeah. Oh, wait, crap. Is this 0.7? Or 0.5? <laughs> uh, well, hey, I went to a concert last night. And it's funny, when you're 40 years old and you go to concerts, it, it's a different animal than when you were like 16, 17 years old, right? So I go to this concert. Wait, let me ask you, how old were the people who went there? Were they all your age or were you there with a bunch of 16 and 17 year olds? My age or older. Now, when I went and saw Thrice about maybe 10 years ago, they were all like college students. And uh, yeah, I was cool and everything. It made me feel a little bit old, but kind of like, you know, cool, like old. You know what I mean? I was 30. I think I was actually, it was probably like eight years. I, I think I was like 32. So I was kind of like, hey, I'm the cool 32-year-old here, you know, with all these college students. I like good music. So anyways, like years ago, I went and saw the Eagles. They did their farewell tour, uh, farewell part one tour. Let's clarify that. Um, and I know some of you are out there like going, oh, my gosh, they're spawns of Satan. They're servants of the devil. Um, you need to stop listening to so much Christian propaganda and listen to Don Henley. So that, church, that, that song had nothing to do with the church of Satan. But uh, anyways, um, so I, I, I go and see the Eagles, right? And I'm making fun of every in my head, right? Cause it's too loud to actually do it out loud. I'm making fun of everybody in my head. Like, man, these guys are losers, you know, like they're all like super old. You're talking about the audience super fat. Yeah. Okay. It was like, I couldn't believe like everyone was super old and they were still trying to dance. And it was just, it, it wasn't pretty. And then maybe like a year later, I went to a U2 show. It was my first U2 show. Got the tickets in Cardiff. Uh, I was walking around Cardiff City Streets. Backstreet, they had a ticket booth office for the stadium. And my buddy texted me and goes, hey, 
uh, go to the ticket booth now. He was there for the concert. He's like, go to the ticket booth now. They're selling tickets for like 20, you know, the equivalent of like 20 bucks. So I bought a ticket for the 360 tour, which is really cool. But anyways, um, I look around and they're all like my age. And, and, and suddenly I have this like, dude, like you are the Eagles crowd. Like, okay. They were more my age, but you could see the process beginning. Like when I used to go to like shows, you know, from the U2 era, we were young, you know, and, and, and so now like we were all super old and I can remember watching, uh, sometimes you watch these guys and they'll like stand up on a monitor and, and jump off with their guitar and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> you know, like you feel their pain. So funny, dude. And, uh, so anyways, uh, but, but, but going back to this, it's funny. Cause like my whole, uh, trip to Wales, like the whole way I got over there. Okay. You know, I have Welsh heritage, so when I was growing up, my dad was like, you're Welsh. So I go see the the Welsh. Like if you want to talk about kind of like the Welsh rock icons, not Tom Jones, not the sex bomb, but like the actual like rock band from Wales, it kind of was uh, the big rock band from Wales before there were big rock bands from Wales. And, and probably most people nowadays haven't even heard of them. But they toured with U2 during U2's war concert, um, their war tour. And uh, back when YouTube was kind of really kicking off, it had a big break. And uh, they were a band called The Alarm, and they were from Wales. And so they toured together. In fact, just uh, a couple days ago, um, the album turned 30 that they were performing last night. It's called Declaration. Um, really killer album. And Bono actually, you know, on the BBC made a statement about, hey, you know, uh, The Alarm, you know, they're one of the good things about rock, blah, blah, blah. Totally bigged them up. But anyways... When I was uh, 19 years old, I I hear, uh, well, first off, I'm like 17, and I hear on the radio uh, the lead singer of The Alarm. He's a Christian. His name's Mike Peters. I know him personally. And uh, Name dropper. The way, the, the way I know him personally is it gets a little interesting, but uh, the, the, the reality is I was listening to K-Rock like back in the 80s, you know, and uh, as he did in the 80s. And... The, suddenly, like these guys come on this show called Rockline. It's like an hour-long interview, and they're talking, talking, and they're mentioning Wales. So I'm like, huh, that's funny. That's that's my heritage, you know. It's it, interesting. And they're talking about all the unemployment and all the all the rough stuff that goes on there, and what's happening to the culture, uh, post-industrial. So a lot of poverty and drugs. And I just feel the Holy Spirit tugging my heartstrings, and. Um, so I think, oh, you know, when I graduate high school, I'll go over there. And so I did. I took a break after my first year of college during the summer, took a mountain bike, uh, popped in on a train. Uh, the, the whole country's mountains just about. Uh, any of your Celtic nations are Scotland, Wales. And, uh, and I go over there. And so I'm up north, and I'm, I'm near the town where Mike Peters is from. And I end up going to... Uh, uh, the village. I just feel myself kind of like, well, I might as well go see where he's from. And he's kind of like one of my heroes. And, uh, and so I go to the, uh, the village and I go to the store and buy like a granola bar or something. And I go, Hey, um, Hey, does Mike Peters live here? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, where does he live? And she's dumb enough to tell me. And so I think, well, you know, I don't want to be the weird guy that shows up at his door, but Hey, <laughs> you only live once. <laughs> And I'm I'm here. I mean, how how often am I going to be in Wales, right? So I I go up to his door, man. I knock on his door, and his wife's home, and he's not. And 
she lets me in. <laughs> and so I held her at gunpoint. No, I'm just teasing. And said, give me all your money. Um, but anyway, so like I'm 19 years old. I don't realize at 19 years old, this is really creepy. You know, like if my wife had some strange 19-year-old kid knock on the door and she let him in, I'd kill her. I'd be like, what in the heck are you thinking? And so, um, but but I had tea with her. You know, I sat in Mike Peters' kitchen for about an hour. You know, it's kind of like sitting in Bono's kitchen, except, you know, Mike Peters, you know, is, uh, it, it, the alarm wasn't YouTube. They never made the 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 uh, status that U2 did, but still an incredible rock band. And the guy is just top notch. Like he, uh, he does all these fights for cancer and stuff. And um, he, he'll, he'll finish chemo and then he'll like, you know, get on the road and hike like the three tallest peaks in the UK in like two days to raise money for charity. And uh, he's known all throughout the UK as just being like, Kind of like Bono in the sense where uh, the guy just pours his life into giving for other people. And he's got a cool foundation called the uh, Faith, Hope, and Love uh, Foundation, which is for bone marrow transplant. Give him a shout out there because he's just inspired so many people. Dude's a brother in the Lord and just, you know, awesome. Uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit over the years when I was in Wales. He'd tell me, hey, just tell him at the gate. I'll, I'll put a pass in for you and stuff. And uh, get backstage access, go say hi and stuff. So it was pretty cool, you know? So I was there last night and, um, it was, it was just weird, man. Like, uh, I'm just telling you, like, I realize when I go to a concert, how stinking old I am. And, uh, I was, I was the hottest looking dude there. I'm just saying I was, you know, I was sexy. I don't know why you're checking out other dudes so you can then compare yourself to them because I just don't do that. You compare yourself to women. I don't compare myself to anyone. I know everyone is comparing themselves to I am, me. I am Pete Mitchell, the one and only. No, I'm teasing. I, I, I don't actually do that, but it's funny to say I do. You know, growing up, I never went to concerts. Wasn't allowed. Even DC Talk, you know, forget it. Can't do it. No, hey, and, and I know that about you. And, uh, you know, you can't. Because uh, you, you actually know. invited me to go to that concert, and I'm like, Drive all that distance to go listen to music I probably wouldn't listen to anyway. Mm, I'm going to pass. But you did offer beer. And let me tell you, that was a strong pull in your direction. Well, they served beer there. It wasn't a, a big enough pull, though, apparently. <laughs> I just figured it was like leaving breadcrumbs for you. Now, if I want you to get to the concert, that might be the best way to get you there. <laughs> I'm like, I got beer right here and I don't have to go 100 miles. What's really funny now, though, is like the concert starts at 8 p.m., and I and I swear to you, I'm sitting there watching it going, I'm looking at the tickets going, because I've been sick, and I've been canceling all my appointments. So I haven't felt good. Like, you can hear I'm still sick from last week. This thing will not go away. <coughs> Cough on cue. And uh, so anyways, I'm, I'm like looking at the ticket going, 8 o'clock? That's just the opening bands. It's, oh, that's so late. Why are they starting so late? <laughs> oh, yeah. You're the cool 40-year-old, that's for sure. Oh, I'm telling you, I am not the cool 40-year-old. I mean, I'm saying all this tongue-in-cheek, but the, the real point of bringing this up is it's like everything else in my life where, uh, you know, it, I had my time, man. I had my run. You know, I went into ministry at 19. Was uh, In fact, I was a youth pastor when I, when I went to Wales during that break in, in my college. And a uh, funny story came out of that. I had a, I had a guy... Uh, and we have a good topic. I'm not just stalling because we have a suck topic topic like last week, but we did okay with that. But uh, the, the reality is um, this story has to be told. 
We actually uh, got Joey Roper to call in. Yeah, I think because we razzed him a bit, didn't we? And we Joey, did. Still there? He's like, I'm a little bit behind, but I hear I'm a punchline on your podcast. Every week, baby, every <laughs> week. But you know, it, it's funny because um, so I go to Wales, uh, 19 years old, youth pastor, and I've got this assistant. Now, weird thing is, this guy was uh, he was so filled with joy, man. He would like go, "Hey, you guys!" And like, my kids were like dude, shut up, you know, like they, they didn't get him. And what they didn't realize is testimony was so radical. He had been a part of the Mexican mafia and a uh, drug dealer, whole thing. And uh, they asked him to be a hitman, and he didn't think he could kill somebody. So um, he, he, was, he was leaving, like he was going to run away. And uh, he got saved, and uh, he told, uh, I, I don't know what you call him, but anyways, his you know, brothers and the the mafia and he, he told him he's look i'm a christian blah 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 and he was like i was convinced they were going to kill me the guy who usually you know was kind of like a hitman showed up at my house and i i thought that was it and i sh- started sharing jesus with him and he said he he started crying you know just like a tear even one like it anyway so that was that guy's backstory but i'll never forget i go to wales and i leave him in charge of my youth group and so i'm over there you know just traveling around roughing it and stuff um, staying in hostels for six weeks, never think I'm going to move back there on mission. But uh, during that time, uh, my buddy, he tells me, he writes me a letter. He's like, because this is before, you know, everyone was on email. He's like, hey, uh, I had a little bit of a problem. So and so, you know, a teenage girl shows up to the youth group and uh, her grandpa died. I had opened it up for prayer at the beginning. Like, does anyone have any prayer needs? Anyone want to share what's going on with your life? And he'd always be like super ex- excited. Hey, you guys, you know, anyone? And, and, and again, it was just, he wasn't like that before he saved. But this guy had been so radically changed by Christ that he was just a different dude, man. He's full of joy. And uh, once they heard his testimony, like they respected him. They, they, they got him, you know. But, uh, but so he's sharing and this girl starts crying and saying, well, my my, my grandpa just died. And what was so funny about this guy, Russell's, he was like guy that built motorcycles and all kinds of cool. He was like a man's man. He didn't know what to do with those emotions. So he goes, he goes, did he know the Lord? Oh, Which is no. like not the question to ask. Right. Yeah. And she goes, no. And she <laughs> no. just like starts bawling. And he's like, Whoa, no, it's okay. It's okay. Let's pray for his soul. <laughs> <laughs> what are you so going to do in that position, in man? That not only has he completely blown it, but now he's got him believing Catholic theology. So that was great, man. Dude, that, I don't even know how you would respond to that. I laughed. No, but I mean, like, if you really were in that situation, what should you say? Oh, gosh, you, you just give him sympathy and you mourn with him. You know, we always think we got to have answers for stuff. I learned a long time ago. You know, we, we were talking about um, Philip Yancey, right? Um, I, would, I would love to interview that dude again. Um, I, that dude was so deep and so profound. <laughs> He's Phil when <laughs> you I know him as I good as us. I would call him Philip. But, <laughs> you know, he seriously, though, like, that dude is so profound and deep, and he thought out every angle. And he comes to the same conclusion the Bible does. I don't have all the answers. The Bible's like, I ain't giving you all the answers. I'm going to tell you it hurts. I'm going to tell you it sucks. And I'm going to tell you to mourn with those who mourn. So you read Job. There's no answer, right, at the end of Job. You just get the impression God knows what we go through, and he's with us, and we shouldn't, like, chuck him when stuff doesn't go our way. 
And that's kind of where the Bible goes, right? It doesn't say, well, by the way, here's the secret to suffering. Here's, you know, the the game plan. Here's It just says it's going to be hard. Um, it's going to be tough. And here are things that help, um, you know, finding your peace in Christ, having people to mourn with you, um, on and on. And that's about it, right? Right. Hmm. We mourn, but not like those who have no hope. I mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, no, they, you just mourn with them. And I, I think it's fair to say, because you don't know her grandpa, right? It'd be fair to say something like, you know, gosh, you know, we we never know what goes on in someone's heart because we don't. And No, we say, don't. You and I had that conversation like a couple of weeks ago. And because I was just mentioning how um, I was getting kind of upset, you know, when Paul Crouch died, because on Facebook, it was like so many people are like, you know, oh, good. He's finally gone. I'm like, dude, seriously? That that's your reply. Yeah. I mean, first of all, why would you rejoice in someone's death because you think now they're going to hell? And then secondly, we have no idea where he was at the end of his life. Like, I don't know what happened on his deathbed. I mean, thief on the cross, right? You, uh, right up till the last moment, you, you got a, an opportunity there. So, I mean, I just you never know. I'm totally in agreeing with what you said. You never know. And it's not no, our place to, it, to know. And it's not a giving someone a false hope. It's giving them a possible comfort. Um, we don't know. And and one day when we get to heaven, you know, um, it says every tear will be wiped. Some Somehow we will understand, like David said, you were just justified when you judge. Uh, you reprove right when you speak and justified when you judge. We will understand God's judgment from another perspective and we will be in agreement with everything. Um, and because we didn't earn anything, we, you know, Christ earned everything for us. Obviously, we'll be in agreement with, with the fact that grace was given at all. You know, I mean, the, the miracles that anybody gets grace, the miracles, not the problem isn't that some people don't get saved. The, the problem, if you really want to define what the real problem of salvation is and judgment and hell is that anyone saved at all. Yeah. That's, that's the real, yeah. uh, deal is that no one deserves salvation as soon as you kind of nip that in the bud you know people the new atheists i'll be talking about you know how could a god blah 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 hey man we all make our choice you're making your choice now if you got a problem make a different choice you know choose something different well it's funny that you you bring up that because this last yeah it was this last sunday right that uh mike bonomo and ruben they both preached right was not this last sunday yeah yeah and one of them, uh, you know, mentioned a verse that I've heard and probably memorized when I was a kid. I mean, I've heard it a thousand times if I've ever heard it once. You know, um, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I just, I remember, whichever one of them said, I don't even remember, but I just kept thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's totally it, right? Like, there was no unrighteous. There was, there was literally no reason to love us, to sacrifice for us. And yet while we were sinners at at the height of our sin, Christ died for us. I mean, it's just, it's crazy when you really think about what that verse really means, you know? And and in the aftermath of Bob Coy's thing, I mean, I read a comment on Facebook where someone was saying, Hey, we need to stop giving these free passes to leaders who, uh, you know, teach one thing in the pulpit and live, you know, and it was about Bob Coy. And I remember when he said, we need to stop giving free passes. I'm thinking, I call that grace. 
I don't think we ought to stop giving grace to anyone because um, when I fall, I'm going to need a lot of grace. I don't mean like prophet when I fall. I just mean when I fall on a regular basis and, and all kinds, you know, how it says in James, we all stumble in many ways. Um, I, I thank God for that passage. It's not just me then. But, uh, I mean, I don't commit adultery on my wife. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, nothing about me would surprise me. You know what I mean? I'm going to always tell my wife, I'm never going to cheat on you. Because right now where I stand, that's, that's, I mean, I realize I would be the most insane thing to do, right? And, uh, and yet at the same time, um, sin is deceptive. Um, you know, it, it's like it, bringing it all back to Star Wars again, like you do. Right, I'm wearing the Star Star Wars rock band shirt today. I saw it. You showed it to me on the Google Hangout. I I had to put my chest up to the camera. Check this out, baby. Hey, by the way, uh, Pete, just for Joey Roper's sake, right? Um, it, it it it's true, isn't it? Star Wars is the best and greatest movie uh, franchise of all time. Yes, the original three, not yeah. not the follow up fake three. I was thinking about this yesterday, and this is important, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the Clone Wars are over now. That, that series is finished. If you don't watch the Clone Wars, you need to grow up and start watching cartoons. But, but here's the deal. Uh, that is now uh, done, um, and, like, it, it, it was awesome. Like, it, it shows you how Yoda, like, the last couple of episodes. I, I only watch it because I have a five-year-old. <coughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, no, but Your daughter like, doesn't even watch. <laughs> It's actually it's actually the uh, the one year old when I'm feeding her Baba, you know. I usually like I'm I'm holding her with one hand and watching a cartoon on my phone with another. But here's a, in, instead of edifying my soul, but the the reality is I um, usually I'm just read the Bible. But you know, whatever. I know you do. I know you do. So holy, 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 holy. I'm sick. It is so holy. Thank you. Thank early you. in the morning. There we go. <laughs> so, but I was thinking, like, there's no uh, movie that's ever attained Star Wars status. Like, people in Japan love Star Wars. People spanning like 30, 40 years love Star. Like, and it doesn't stop, dude. They're still making films. There's no other film in the history of films. Like, even you know, they vote. Um, what was it? Citizen Kane, like the greatest movie of all time. And of course, you 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 got a degree in film, so it's like. Uh, you know, and I know, you know, okay, the camera angles, and it was groundbreaking, and this and that, but that movie sucked. Come on, that movie sucked, right? It's not number one. They should have put George Lucas in there. That was that was the best movie ever. Empire, actually. You know, I agree. I think it was Empire as well. Mm. Bad guys win. <laughs> it is. That's what Empire is. Bad guys win. Greatest movie ever. Oh, it's awesome. I'm just Darth saying. Vader is not the villain the galaxy needs, but the, the one it deserves or something like that. Right? I screwed that up. But you did. You know, we're, we're way into this podcast. We should probably actually get to the topic at hand. We probably should. And uh, I was going to go on to make my point about Star Wars in connection with grace and all that. Um, <laughs> in and connection with grace. But, There's but no grace the deal, for, right? for those other movies. Episodes one, two, and three. I offer like, no grace. No mercy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, once to the dark side, you know, forever will dominate your destiny. Of course, well, he's know, never asked for, re- he's never repented of the first three episodes. So, well, you know. that's true. He hasn't. He is reprobate. He must repent. And Han does shoot first. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> he don't, he definitely does. 
people are like, what are they talking about? It's like people like Jimbo Balaam, who I just don't get. I've never seen Star Wars, and I'm never going to watch it. Since you've known me for three years, and you've still never watched Star Wars, Darth Vader's Luke's father. There. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best. I just ruined it for Jimbo. And you know there's somebody else listening going, I was going to watch that this weekend. (laughs) I feel kind of dirty inside. Why? Because you left that out? So anyways, here's the deal. Like, like at the end of the day, though, Anakin never like wakes up in the morning and goes, Hey, I think I'll turn to the dark side. You know, it's a slow process. And, uh, you know, we, we, we all need to be humble, man. We just, we need God's grace every single day. And we're going to talk today. This is actually kicking into our topic very creatively, but it's actually kicking into our topic because we're going to talk about the topic. Uh, issues that church planners face. This is a document put together by Ed Stetzer, and we're on issue number five, which is the difficulty most church planners, when they're surveyed, had the fifth thing that they struggle with was casting vision and avoiding mission drift. And so, you know, we want to talk about the things that are a struggle, and there's a reason why that's a struggle. Because what what normally happens is you plan a church and um, you know, uh, the kick the connection here is grace. Grace ought to be the foundation of everything in your church plan, right? Grace. So like today, we're recording this. This is Easter weekend. It's Good Friday. And my entire preaching, everything I do, um, is about the death and resurrection of Christ. That doesn't mean that if I'm in the Old Testament, you know, this... Uh, this, uh, you know, um, word here really reminds me of the cross. I don't do it like that, but the cross, the death and resurrection has to make its way somewhere. Um, you know, it, it, everything, all roads lead to Rome. Everything points back to the cross. And, um, the reality is when you're talking about, um, the two things your church needs, the cross, the death and the resurrection, the cross represents grace, the resurrection represents power. Those are the two things that I emphasize when I plan a church. Those are the two major things that I want people to know. Now, Charlie was Mr. Grace and I was Mr. Holy Spirit, right? Um, I was always challenging people to go deeper in the spirit, uh, experience the power, um, live in the supernatural, um, all those kinds of things. And Charlie was always, it was kind of like a tag team WWF where Charlie had him on the ropes with Grace. I had him on the ropes with um, resurrection power. And so those two things are what the church needs. But what will happen is, say you planted a church, the reason this is a challenge is in the beginning of your church plant, you want it to be successful. So you let all these people in. And the problem with that, I know we've talked about the no Christian rule, where I kind of started developing this approach where I don't let Christians come. And I'm like, hey, thanks for visiting, but you can't be here. People think I'm nuts for that. But the reason why is for this very purpose. What we're talking about today is to protect the mission and the vision and to not get sidetracked. Does that make sense? Si, senor. Okay. I was just letting you talk. Well, you know, all I was going to point out is it's actually a comment you made about five seconds or five minutes ago, I should say. Um, I couldn't turn to it quick enough in my Bible. But one thing that you brought up that I'm just going to... Quote here a little uh, a little Luke because I read it I don't know a couple of weeks ago or last week something like that, but um, this is after the resurrection and uh, Jesus is uh, on the road and he meets up with a couple of those uh, um, disciples and he's you know talking to them about 
you know, what, what's what are you guys talking about? And they're like, you know, how are you the only guy not knowing what just happened? Um, and then, you know, at the very end it says, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I I think about that. I'm like, man, how cool would that have been to have Jesus himself sitting there and go, let me explain to you the all of the scriptures, starting with Moses and the prophets and how that all relates back to me. Like, wouldn't you have just loved to have sat there and heard that? Like directly from Jesus, absolutely. That had just been hot. That's so well, hot. And, yeah. And and let's let's be real. I mean, Jesus gave a very you know he he raises from the dead or rises. Sorry, it's bad bad English. All the all the British people just gasp. Oh, you know they they they, they can't stand when uh, you, you grammatically make errors, especially as Americans are like, oh, they butchered our language. I always tell British people, I'm like, hey, we left you guys 200 years, and in 200 short years, you guys are already talking funny. All right, so I've come back to show you how to do it. There you it's go. Because I think I'm funny. But but here's the deal: at the at the end of the uh, day, you, you're looking at Jesus giving them a mission directive. He gave them a clear mission directive. The Great Commission is the mission, and so having mission statement. We've talked about this before. It's very biblical. We call it the Great Commission. It keeps us true. We realize all the time that, you know, like right now the church is realizing, gosh, we've gotten away from discipleship. Um, the church is eventually going to realize um, in pursuing discipleship right now, um, they're getting away from evangelism. And they're going to be like, oh, no, we're not because, you know, we're discipling and good disciples evangelize. Not always. Paul had to tell Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Um, you, you know, there's a lot of people don't want to do evangelism. It's not fun. It's hard. It's it, it. Sometimes when you when you go out and evangelize, it's kind of like, you know, going into a cage fight. You, you know, you're kind of like, I don't really want to get kicked and punched today. And uh, so when people are honest about evangelism, that that's when I find it's most helpful. So first thing I always say is, yeah, that's a good theory, but it's wrong. Um, people that are discipled don't automatically uh, go to the mission field. Jesus was the best disciple we know. He turns to the 12 and he says, uh, hey, guys, open your eyes. Uh, the fields are, are ripe unto harvest. Pray the Lord of the harvest, send workers into the field. And, you know, obviously he had been with them for quite some time and they didn't get it. He sends them out like the 72 uh, so that he just basically goes, just go do it. That's it. Just go do it. And he has to push him like mama bird out in the nest. And uh, so that that's my my theory on that, like Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. But as we talk about mission statements, what happens is people come in and they sidetrack the mission. And that's important because, um, you know, people come in with all their different uh, reasons um, for being there and they want to make it their ideal church. And you have to keep them um, focused on what you're there for. We're here for Jesus and we're here for the lost. And so all these things have to, to be spelled out. And I know that we've, we've talked about this a little bit before, but, um, it's when you get Christians, just, just be aware of that. It's not new Christians, new Christians come and they're like sponges. And for them, it's all about Jesus and they naturally go tell their friends about him. So when you're dealing with a church that's reaching people, 
Um, the best evangelists on the planet are new Christians, and they will keep you. You have a church that applies the no Christian rule, a church plant, and you're not willing to whore yourself, you know, after numbers. So you're not taking all the Christians. Your mission is going to stay pretty dang pure. Know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's interesting because in uh, <laughs> I don't know if this is a good example or not. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not, but I'm going to say it anyway. But kind of what you're referring to with the the new Christians make the best evangelists, that's actually the same way it is in network marketing companies. It's the new convert. (laughs) I know it's a bad example, but it's true. I'm thinking of our conversation yesterday where I made some calls for uh, ad space. (laughs) And you're like, no, dude, I want you to do it because you're probably the best salesman. (laughs) Just because you're brand new at it, you know. And you don't know what you can't do. So yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's it's but I mean that's that's kind of um there's there's a there's a beauty in in people's ignorance, so to speak. Not not yeah. ignorance in, in things of the faith, but when they, they have no fear because they don't know how hard it is yet. They don't know, you know, the rejection or the uh, mocking that they will get. Because um, they haven't experienced it yet, and so they they go out and they do it, and then you get beat up by the world, right? We used to call it the mini shaft syndrome. You start getting hit over the head, you know, and and then pretty soon you start clamming up, and then you know you don't want to do it as much, and that happens in sales all the time, right? Because yeah. selling's a, a tough thing. I mean, you got to face a lot of rejection in sales. Yeah. It's yeah. always the new salesman that's out there just tearing it up because he hasn't faced that rejection yet. Well, this this podcast will go out the day after Easter, but you know, just consider this: statistically, eighty-two percent of unchurched people say that they would respond positively to an Easter invite. It is the biggest church attendance of the year. It's bigger than Christmas, and you're just insane if you're not, um, you know, kind of utilizing that. Um, we don't do letterbox drops ever. Um, you know, we don't have tons of money in our church plant. And when you say um, letterbox drops for all of our American friends, oh, sorry, that means man. uh direct mail. Yes. Thank <laughs> you. I, I actually didn't know the, the American term for that mail. You've never heard the term mail direct mail. Is that what you call it? Well, direct mail is just a email postcards term. to people, right? Like yeah. in the neighborhood. And so <laughs> we, we, we have been doing it where we walk around, but like last year when I was, when I made the announcement and like, Four people showed up. I'm like, oh, okay, right. We need to probably mail them. Next year. I don't. I don't think uh, the team this year knew that we were mailing them because last Sunday they're like, uh, by the way, we're meeting after church to go, uh, you know, hand out postcards. Yeah, that's actually not what. Yeah, that's not what happened. There's a deeper story there. Oh, is there? Um, yeah, not they, podcast they, some, approved. Not, not, not naming names like Michael Bonimo or anything, but. No, he got sick. He was supposed to take the cards of the school, and he missed the cutoff. Oh, are you kidding me? I, I know. I didn't want to tell you. Pete, Pete buses. <laughs> so so I, I, I kind of um, – I don't show my disappointment. Um, I'm pretty reserved when I'm dealing with people that, you know, their heart's in the right place. They're been over – and Mike's that dude, man. He's such a servant. Why didn't he just he, call? When he screws up and gets on – no, dude, he was so sick he forgot. And so, you know, here it is on before thousands of people, Mike Bonimo's mistake. <laughs> no, but, but Mike is the dude where like, it's, you know, Hey, it could have been any of us. Right. So, you know, and I'm only sharing this as a teaching opportunity, 
But uh, but here's the deal. <laughs> it's my mistake. <laughs> I'm only sharing this as a teaching opportunity. That's you great. Like that. That's you good. Like. So so here's the deal. You know, basically, um, you know, I just kind of like I wrote, you know, oh my gosh, exclamation mark, and I think. Mike was kind of like, and then and then he wrote something, and I said, I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. And I think that was all I had to say for Mike to go, oh, man, oh, crap. This is a big deal, you know. And, and you know, we, we briefly talked, you know, hey, it was a massive opportunity to get these into the school. We have a school that will allow us to actually pass out our cards. Actually, they will do it for us. They will distribute, uh, you know, anyways, I probably shouldn't say that, but. The, the bottom line is that it was all ready to go. It was going to be passed out with Easter candy and stuff. And, um, you know, we're going to be like, hey, kids, this first one's free. But, you know, if you want <laughs> That's more. That's so this, bad. You know, Don't even go there, man. Don't even go there. That's so bad. <laughs> if you want more, you got to bring your parents on Easter. There's more where this came from. And uh, you're going to edit that out, aren't you? No. Okay, good. I don't have so, time. Fix your so mistakes. bottom line, bottom line is I'm just, I'm waiting. I was literally just waiting for, for him to just do the right thing. And of course he did. Cause he's Mike, man. That's who Mike is. And the next thing I know, he's like, all right, everybody, um, we're going to hit the parks and, uh, go, go, uh, hit different places in the city. Basically what that dude did is he's like, I got 600 cards. They're not going to the school, you know, and he's a leader. He basically took ownership and he goes, I'm going to go pass those out. And man, I just got to tell you, like when I saw it, when I didn't have to say a word and that dude did it like that's leadership, man. Not every I always say this. Not everybody's a leader. And I know that's not popular to say right now. A lot of the missional writers are like, everybody's a leader. Hey, you know, when I see it, I'll believe it. I don't believe it. I don't think it's because, you know, we have this patriarchal system that keeps people down. I believe everybody has a gift and everybody's a participant and everybody can win people to Jesus, and make disciples and baptize and do all that stuff and give out communion. You don't have to be ordained or clergy, but I believe there's always leaders and there's always going to be leaders. And, uh, and, and that's what a leader does, dude. A leader lays his life down. A leader serves. Not everyone has what it takes to do that. So everybody should. And everyone ought to eventually become a leader, but they don't. So anyway, you're talking about we don't often do letterbox drops. Oh, but you know, it's such a big opportunity. And our mission, you know, our our mission is basically to reach a loss. So um your everything from your budget to what you do on a Sunday to the hills you're willing to die on, it all comes back to this. Does it fit your mission? Are you going to get sidetracked? We should mention, though, that we did do a uh, direct mail piece this Easter. We did. Yeah, absolutely. And it was worth every penny, man. Well, we'll find out. I mean, we'll find out on Sunday how many people show up. Well, statistically, you should know this. 1% um, is the return. And I hear people sometimes say, oh, 1%? You can't do it on 1%. Like, that's not worth it at all. Well, the reality is, right, Jesus leaves in 99 to go after the one. It's worth, seriously, if one person gets saved and I spend, you know, uh, out of the church budget like a thousand, fifteen hundred bucks or whatever, um, it's worth it, isn't it? One well, it's absolutely worth it because, one, it wasn't your money to begin with. So Absolutely. If God chooses to use fifteen hundred bucks to bring in one person, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. You're standing before the Lord, and you're like, "Sorry, Lord, uh, 
you know, we had in our budget that we would spend $200 per soul and it was going to cost $1,500. We knew it was only a 1% return, Lord. $1,500 was just too much. And Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I, I spilled my blood. I, I, I paid and paid. That is actually how we do it in business, by the way. We know what our yeah, customer acquisition cost is. Absolutely. I know it is. And and I've sat in board meetings. I remember the first time I ever got disgusted in a board meeting where everything we were talking about evangelism and they started talking like businessmen. And I, I in disgust said, it all eventually comes back to money, doesn't it? And everyone just kind of looked at me like, you're a butthead. Because <laughs> you brought it up. Well, I said it and I, that's all I said. I didn't even, I was, I was mad. I was like, but you know, it's another story for another day. But so anyways, um, so you, you have to have clarity. We've talked about a mission statement. You can go back in the podcast and listen to, we, we got quite a, a I, I think we spent a couple of weeks on the mission statement, right? How to write it, how to, how to hammer it and forge it. Um, all that stuff is, <clears throat> is pretty important, but how do you know? You know, let's talk about something we haven't talked about before. How do you know what your core values are going to be? How do you know what you want to do? How do you decide what your vision is going to be? I've learned over the years that probably most church planners know more what they don't want to do or don't want to be than they do want to do. And that is not a bad thing. That is actually a really good thing. When it comes to church, I find that sometimes even the reactionary spirit that we can have to where we've come from can be a very good thing. Um, I can say when I planted my first church, most of my philosophy of ministry came out of the crud that I had been through. Um, and I think for that reason, a lot of church planners have very bad experiences before they end up being church planners. And they kind of, it's kind of like the, 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 you know, when you're a dad, when you become a dad, you go, I'm not going to do to my kid what my dad did to me, right? It's that same mentality. And you're like, I'm not going to present Jesus like this, you know? I'm going to make sure this place is a place where people can come. They can be real. We're not going to let it stink a man. And that stuff's all really helpful. And I think that, that that's the reason why church planning is always going to be needed. Because eventually you're going to become the over 40 guy at the concert with a bunch of fat, sweaty, bald guys that can't dance anymore. And some young guys can be looking around like I did the Eagles concert laughing at you and going, man, this sucks. You know, like I, I know what this generation needs. You see, God kills his preachers every year. He kills them off because they go past their sell by date and he raises up a younger generation who can do it. So, I don't think that reactionary spirit is necessarily a bad thing. Interesting. I don't think I've ever thought about it like that. Most Probably with good reason. I think are very twisted. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even Paul, right? Like, you, you think about Paul. Um, why was Paul such a champion of grace? Because he was a Pharisee. God made him, he says, concerning legalism, uh, faultless. Legalistic righteousness, he says, faultless. Not not soul righteousness. In Romans, he confesses, I sucked at that. I was covetous, you know, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to, like, the letter, the jots and tittle, um, externals, Paul was 
faultless on it, yet Paul was crushed under the weight of having to perform like that. And it was that bad experience that he came from that when he became a church planner, he said, I labored to know, to the uh, Galatians, I labored to know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. It all became about grace. When he says, I labored to know nothing save Christ and him crucified, he meant grace. It's like Hebrews where it says, it is good for the heart to be established in grace, um, Hebrews 13. So th- these, are, these are the things that... Um, you know, you, you kind of dominate. You, you, if you come from a legalistic place, you're going to naturally know, you know, because you've had comment, you've been hurt yourself, or you listen to non-believers and they're like, yeah, they did this. And, and you, you kind of say, well, I'm never going to do that, right? You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. I do. And that's what Paul did. Paul just goes, we're not going to have Pharisees. And he fought the circumcision group tooth and nail because he had come from that. And he had those non-negotiables. He had the things that, you know, he wouldn't budge an inch for. And that that every church planner needs, Stetzer brings that up in his, in his paper. Um, he says, and I'll read it. It says, most planners do not have the capacity, financial resources, or team needed to develop a comprehensive strategy. Instead, they narrow their focus to three to five table-banging priorities they will be mean about in the early days of the church. Um, and that's a good thing. You, you got to stand your ground. You got to know the hills that you're going to die on. That's really important. And uh, that's it. So stay on mission. That's, that's the bottom line. Stay on mission. <laughs> Don't let Christians dictate. Let Jesus be the priority and the focus and let the loss be. The- so and, is that what the drift means? The missional drift is it's, you know, yeah. you, you started out, this is what we're going to be. And then, you know, just, yeah. People complaining or, you know, what if we did this? What if we did that? And that's what you mean by missional drift. You're, yeah, you're missional getting off drift the folk, means the, the church becomes about the church mm. and it stops being about the lost. So missional drift means the mission. The mission is in clear focus. And you know, you've been to churches that the church is about the church and everything's the church, 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 church. And things are not any longer Jesus, 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 and the loss, the loss, the loss. And when that happens, the church is in slow decline already. And it doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter how cool their graphics are or how big their programs are. They are in decline automatically. Interesting. That's, yeah, I don't know, man. That's that's a tough one to, to swallow in context of uh, a lot of our U.S. churches. Um well, mo- most of our churches are in decline, and that's been kind of the thing about the missional movement, is the missional movement is bringing to the table that, look, this has always been the focus of Scripture. And they're quite right. Some people say, oh, it's a fad, you know, and, um, you know, the missional movement's a fad. All the missional movement is is a rediscovery of the mission that God is on and the mission that every Christian should be on the missional movement stands up against the hey leave it to the professionals you know the the uh idea that i'll just you know um you know hope that everyone turns into a christian station here's a bible study and gets saved or i will um you know count on the the professionals you know the churches to attract them with their big money advertising and programs and it's saying no you yourself are a missionary it's unleashing the power of every individual believer well getting it reminds me too, and we've—I'm pretty sure I've shared this before on the podcast. 
there's an episode of Seinfeld where Elaine is dating Putty. That's and, the best. Yeah, you know what I, you know where I'm going yeah. with that. So she finds out that he's a Christian and she's not, and she goes, um, I, I, she goes, doesn't that bother you that I'm not a Christian? I don't believe what you believe, and he goes, I'm not the one going to hell. <laughs> and yeah. It's like, exactly. it's it, in its own funny way, it speaks to the heart of our condition, right? You know. I'm saved. And and this is kind of the way that I was um, brought up. And I don't mean like my parents brought me up to think this way, but they shaped me this way so much growing up that it yeah. was like, you know, all, all these non-Christians, they're so bad. They're, they're such sinners. Um, they had a, a – when I was in high school, needing to get a, a job, right? Just like every other high school, you want to have money to do stuff, get a car, whatever. And so I wanted to go work at a, a movie theater. And movies were like of the devil to my parents. Still to this day they are, which is probably part of the reason why I was a film major, <laughs> you know, just because I knew it would bother them. <laughs> oh, dude, you're the son of a Baptist pastor and you're a film major? I know, right. Oh, the devil walks. So, Bobby um, Boucher, don't you be watching no foosball. I, I got into so much trouble when I went and saw a cliffhanger with uh, – um, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone just filled with iniquity. Well, because it was rated R, you know, and that was like, like my sister and I went to go see it on a Sunday. And, uh, you know, normally when I went and saw movies, I lied, right? I was smart enough to know, don't tell mom and dad what you're going to go see. Cause they're not going to be, you know, happy with it. Uh, and there's a point I'm getting to my point. So, you know, we went and saw Cliffhanger, and as soon as we get home, my mom was like, oh, what'd you guys go see? And my sister, like, tells him, oh, we saw Cliffhanger. And I'm like, are you insane? And my mom goes, well, what's that rated? And she goes, well, I think it's rated R. And I'm like, are you even double insane? Like, you just admitted that you, you went and saw a rated R movie knowing you went and saw it and got in so much trouble. So anyway, um, when I went to go, like, get a job to work in a movie theater, my parents were like, well, you know how we feel about that. And, you know, now you're going to go work for these guys. And then when I was a film major, it was like, you know, that, that industry is so evil. So my, my point is, is that I was kind of brought up and I don't think it intentionally, right. But it, what it did to me is it created this whole us versus them. Yeah. You know, we're saved. They're not, um, we're, we're going to heaven. They're trying to bring you down into hell. And so I think this has happened with a lot of Christians, not, you know, just the Baptist or whatever, because, we do feel that way about like Hollywood. Hollywood is so evil. And what we've done as Christians is we've abandoned that mission field. Like we'd rather send you to Uganda than send you to Hollywood. And look look at what we've got as a result. Yeah. There's there's no Christian influence in that yeah. market. I mean, it's the Christian influence that's there is kind of a joke. Um well, what I'm noticing with a lot of movies right now is their redemption themes woven all the way throughout. And I believe there's more of a Christian presence in the writing right now um, than we've ever seen. I believe Christians have begun to infiltrate. I don't um, I don't I actually don't agree with that. I think you are so good at seeing and pulling that stuff out. That's <laughs> well, what you're doing. You there, so so you can share that with <laughs> you know, you can use popular culture to to, to infiltrate because I, I don't I, okay I and that, that raises the point with like our mission drift because like Noah right like you oh man like 
Christians irritate me to no end when they're like polarizing. It's like the Duck Dynasty thing all over again. It's like, guys, um, if I were in Wales, right, when you get in a truly post, I like thank God. I get on my knees and thank God that Darren Aronofsky made a movie about Noah and it was good. Apparently it was good. I mean, everyone I've talked to is like, you know, non-Christians. Are like, Maybe I'll go awesome. see that on Easter and upset my parents. But here's the deal. I learned in Wales to anything. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care if it's a movie that says Jesus was gay and he had 12 lovers called the disciples. I don't care if it's that bad. If it's huge in pop culture, it has now created a doorway for me to engage people. It's made Jesus suddenly relevant to conversation. And that to me is invaluable. I know that I can debunk that in a heartbeat. That's not the challenge. And I will talk to you. I don't think that it's making more people go to hell than it did before. Um, the reality is it's now creating a doorway for less people to go to hell if Christians will engage. And so, yeah, because no, they were already to going to hell. <clears throat> yeah. And people missed an opportunity. And here's the deal. Same with Easter. Right. And, and I got to be careful with this because there's a, a couple in my church. I love them to death um, at refuge. And, you know, I'm, I'm not really at refuge every week anymore. I'm there once a month. So one of my leaders told me, Hey, there's a, there's a couple in the church. They're, they're not, it's not like they're upset, but they're struggling with the fact that on our Easter postcard, it's a giant Easter egg. And I think the bunny with his butt bitten off is on the back. Cause it was a free graphic, <laughs> by the way, guys, um, if you've not checked out creationswap.com. Um, free graphics. So church planners, you're out there, you're like, oh, I don't have a graphic designer. Go to creationswap.com. It's tons of free church. Uh, it's, it's graphic designers that are Christians, guys who work for churches, design this stuff. And they take the scraps of things that the churches maybe don't want and didn't buy, and they post it online. And it's good stuff. It's just maybe that pastor didn't, didn't like that one, you know, in a, in a, in a, uh, a bunch of proofs that were presented. So anyways, creationswap.com, that's where we got ours. But we made a strategic choice that, look, people don't give a rip about Jesus. I mean, they don't, you know, but they want to be kind of religious and go to church. So we're going to ride that, right? But it says on our card, you know, he is risen, let's party. Because it's, you know, it's a celebration. I tell my church, look, guys, we're going to have not lots of non-believers, but we're going to do an Easter egg hunt. We're going to, you know, do breakfast like normal. But guys, this is not a performance. This is his day, right? Like we're going to party. Don't get, don't get sidetracked into the performance. But, you know, it's one of those things about mission drift. We have to, um, the leader told me, I explained to him, our, we're here for the loss. That's what Sundays are all about. So it's a strategic, you know, evangelistic tool to appeal to them like Jesus did at the well. Hey, you want to drink it in? Just come in and say, hey, psst, I'm the Messiah, right? He says, hey, can you get me something to drink? She's already pulling water up. So these people are already thinking about eggs and chocolate. So we are going to strategically say, hey, um, want a place where you can have a cool community Easter egg hunt? Well, hey, no one else is doing one. The church traditionally has been the place where you can do stuff. Believe it or not, um, the church of the 50s did stuff like this. Um, they were the community hub. People still went to church, and the majority of Americans still went. Same with Britain. And this is where the stuff happened. When the church started polarizing and got that us and them mentality, like, like what you're talking about, Pete, um, the church actually became irrelevant. And, and most of it, it did to itself. Culture became evil through fundamentalism. 
and uh, there was a, a gap that was created. So I'm all for closing the gap. Now, when people come, they see already we've talked about Jesus on our card. We're not baiting and switching, but you will not get a stronger gospel message when you come. And so we do. Well, that, you know, you know I, I would just say from a marketing standpoint, we refer to like the postcard and what we're doing with the um, community Easter egg hunt. We refer to that as entering the conversation that's already going on in their mind. We that's as what, that's as what, that's what the Bible does. Well, yeah, I, but here's my point though: as Christians, we would like to believe that the conversation going on in their mind is, "Gosh, I need to go to church. I need to um, listen in and hear about Jesus." But that's not the conversation that's actually going on in their mind. The conversation yeah. is, "Man, where can where can we do an Easter egg hunt with the kids?" And we're giving that to them as an option. Absolutely. And and so like Paul, right? I mean, exactly to entering the conversation already in their mind. Paul on Mars Hill. He walks around and I hear people say, Oh, you yeah. know, he he uh you know, obviously he failed. He tried to be all intellectual. Hey guys, Paul was intellectual. He couldn't help it. Paul knew pop culture. He uses it in his letters, by the way. Um, he uses it all throughout the book of Acts. Um, and people are like, oh, well, that's why he failed. No, he didn't fail. Read the tail end of the passage. It says some were puzzled, some mocked, and some believed. Um, that is an ideal response anytime you preach a gospel. And they're like, oh, well, you know, he he failed. I always think that's an insane interpretation. Um, it is a model sermon. There are six sermons given in the book of Acts. That is one of them. Luke didn't waste all that time showing you what not to do. Um, Luke put that in there so you realize you can enter into the conversation. And what Paul does is he markets on their superstition. They were superstitious. That's why there were thousands of idols, because they were worried they had missed one. So Paul enters into that conversation and says, by the way, guys, um, I saw one to the unknown God. Um, I want to talk about him because you're worried you missed one. Let me talk to you about the true God. And boom, he comes in. And he enters the conversation, and he purposefully quotes their poets. He uses pop culture. He uses the arts. He uses their philosophy. One of your own poets has said, um, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so Paul knew how to, and he even says, you know, hey, hey to the Jew, I became as a Jew. To the Greeks, I became as a Greek. So to people like who like Easter eggs, I became as one who liked Easter eggs. And if it means that I am going to get somebody to listen to the death and resurrection of Christ. I'm going to do it. I love what um, William Booth said, um, founder of the Salvation Army. He said, if I, if standing on my head and uh, what was it, something like juggling with my feet would bring one soul to Christ, I will sign up for lessons immediately. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing I think that it comes down to with the whole missional drift. And we've talked about this many a time on the podcast. God does not need us, right? I mean, yeah. Christ goes before us. We know that. I mean, you've talked about when you were over in Wales and, um, you know, you, you went someplace and you, you could feel that God was there before you and you were kind of upset. You know, I'm the big bad missionary. I'm yeah. supposed to be the one bringing God. And yeah, yet, right. So my my point is this. The reason why God wants us to reach the lost is not because he needs us. He doesn't need us. It's because we're going to start to develop a love for people the way that God has for people. So what it's going to do to us and how it's going to change us, 
that's the reason why we want to stay on mission. It, it really is. In a lot of ways, it's a selfish reason because of what it's going to do for us. Now, people along the way are going to get saved and they're going to hear about God, but God was going to do that anyway. You know, does that make sense what I'm saying? Am I totally yeah, off base? I could be totally off base. Absolutely it does. No, no, you're you're 100% right. I mean, he takes us along. I believe that the reason that we're even church planners to begin with and the whole reason we're in ministry is to see more of the glory of God, is to see him reveal himself to us and the entire church and mission um, is for him to display who he is to us as we're on mission with yeah. him. If I don't learn more about him, it's not because he needs me. It's because he wants to show himself to the lost and show himself to me. You know, I mean, I I learn like the disciples. Jesus throws me out there in the deep end and I learn and I learn through failure and I learn through getting it wrong. Just like I do as a Christian. It's no different in ministry. I get all kinds of and I tell my church all the time, oh, I get stuff wrong. I don't have to be the, the great oracle. Insecure leaders feel like they have to have their people think they're really like switched on to the Holy Spirit. I tell people all the time, hey, I don't have a bat phone to heaven. You know, it's not like, you know, the commissioner calls me up, Batman, you know, need you to go here. You know? Yeah, but um, you kind of do. All right. You know, I'll take that. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, I, I've told this story maybe, I can't remember, but I had a guy, and, and this is what I'm saying. So that couple, I love them. I don't want them to leave at all. They're really cool, and they've been a real asset. But they had to wait. You know, like we're really, you know, you don't choose your convictions. There's some people, they're really cool people and they're not being jerks. It just bothers them, mm. you know? And, and it's kind of like, I tell people, I, I don't get threatened. I'm like, you know, I understand. I respect, I always tell people, we don't choose our convictions, you know, after all, do we? I mean, you, you know, it's not like you're being a jerk. You, you didn't choose that. You just, you don't choose them. You just have them. And maybe they'll change in time, but maybe not. And I respect that you have that conviction. It's the weaker brother thing. But at the end of the day, you explain to them, normally, if they're cool, they're going to give the church a pass and say, okay. Because you say, look, let me explain to you. I understand your convictions. You respect their conviction in that conversation. But you say, look, um, but we're here for the lost, and we believe that strategically this will, you know, and I would use the exact terms that you, you talked about. I, I didn't have those terms before this podcast, but enter the conversation. I know it's in the scripture. And I always, I used to say, you know, we want to, uh, you know, talk about um, things they're concerned about already, you know? And so here's the deal. I tell them that normally people go, Oh yeah, I get that. That's cool. But I remember this guy coming once upon a time, um, church was early, and it's early days, and he's like, you know, you had a picture of, uh can't mm. remember his name, Jason something or other. He played the trainer in Gladiator. Remember that dude? Yeah. He died of, a, died of alcohol, alcoholism, you know, liver got shot. So he played Jesus of Nazareth. A lot of people don't realize that's actually the same dude. And so we had a picture of, like, Jesus of Nazareth up there and um, on, the, on the overhead behind the words. I didn't do it. You know, I, just, I thought it was kind of lame. It's kind of churchy and religious. Um, looked like a precious moments thing, and I, I, but I didn't really think about it. Well, this dude totally thought about it. He's like, you know, uh, that man was a very bad sinner. And he, that's how he's talking. And I'm like, oh, this guy's a legalist. And he was a traditionalist to boot. So um, he told me that. And I said, uh, oh, I said, uh, and I'll never forget, like, it's still to this day, for me, one of the funniest things I've ever said in ministry. And I go, 
oh, if you think that's bad, you ought to hear our views on women. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, and my views on women weren't that radical, but I I purposefully just said something to make them leave. Because I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't have time for this. I'm out here. I'm like Nehemiah. I'm building a wall, man. I can't come down and talk to you. I'm reaching lost people. I got people with real problems here. I got heroin addicts here. I got people, you know, and drugs and sex trade and on and on. And, you know, in Wales, we had all that stuff. And I was just like, you know what? Um, so that day, man, a letter um, came through my mailbox, you know, mailbox on the front doors in, in Wales. So ching, I heard, you know, he didn't knock on the door or anything. And I barely knew this dude. He's brand new. And I go and there's this big long letter, two pages. I guess he felt he had to explain. And I was like, woohoo! <laughs> I read it and I was like, yes. And sometimes that's the heart that you have to have to avoid mission drift. You have to be willing to lose people, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally makes sense. We've said it before on the podcast great marketing repels as much as it attracts. Yeah, the same baby. thing is is true when it comes to running your business. A, a great business is going to repel some employees and attract some other employees, repel some clients, attract some clients. It's the same thing with the church. It's so funny because I read a quote this morning. We're going to wrap up here, but I read a quote by uh, John Knox, and it said, "It is impossible to agitate and influence at the same time." And I guess he would kind of know because he was a real agitation, right? Especially to Mary Queen of Scots. Um, you know, started the Scottish Reformation, but I disagreed with that. You know, I feel like what you just said is more accurate. You know, good marketing repels and attracts. Jesus did both. And and so when I was weighing a statement, I'm like, that sounds really good. And I want to requote it, except I know I agitate all the time and I'd sure like to influence. So there's like personal interest involved in me not agreeing with it. Because I'm like, well, I want to influence, but I know I'm agitating. And uh, And then I thought, well, what did Jesus do? He did both. Mm. But perhaps you can't do it, you know, at the same time to the same people. Maybe that's what John Knox meant. Surely Jesus was not influencing the Pharisees. He was agitating. And surely he wasn't agitating the disciples he was influencing. So I don't know, man. But anyways, hey, real quick, um, before we end, I want to give a shout out. Uh, Michael Cheshire's birthday was yesterday. He's been a great friend of the podcast. And uh, Cortland Coffey, his assistant, wrote an amazing uh, tribute to him and the effect uh, that uh, Michael's had on his life and discipling him. It's worth going on to Facebook, checking out Cortland Coffee's page, maybe Michael Cheshire's Facebook page, and checking it out because when I got done reading that, I was like, man, that is the kind of influence I want to have on anyone that I'm training and discipling. And I'm just saying, my birthday comes up June 3rd. No one's written me a tribute like that, Pete, ever. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, I want to do my little romper room thing, you know, where we're looking out over our church planners with the magnifying glass. Remember that at the end of romper room? Used to I so out. waited for her to say on my birthday, and I see it's your birthday, Peter. Never happened. Well, that Pete's a common name. Like, imagine how often they said, and I see Peyton. <laughs> <laughs> never happened. When I go to those sticker racks, you know, and they're like, stickers with your name. Peyton's never on there. Just telling you, unless it's a girl's name, and then it's pink. But, you know, it, it, I want to do my romper room. I see Charlie and I, hey, if you guys um, think about it, you know, pray for some of the church planners that we talk about on here. Um, pray for Hector Mora, for Charlie. Uh, pray in particular about Reuben Young 
Um, Ruben is going to be spearheading our San Pedro church plant. Uh, we're going to the rough area of San Pedro. If you're listening to the podcast and you're around that area and you're like, dude, I totally have a heart for San Pedro, get in touch with me, right? I'm on Facebook. You can uh, email New Breed. Go to newbreedcp.org. Um, you can come to the website for the podcast, uh, churchplantermag.com, and uh, you can email us there. And also Stanton, which is in Orange County, but feels like it's in the pit of hell. It's the armpit of Orange County. Feels like L.A. County. No smack on L.A. County, but it does. It doesn't feel like Orange County. But uh, we're also putting together a team there. We don't have our point man yet. So if you're not a freak and uh, you want to get involved with that, um, get in touch with us. And other than that, that's all I have to say on today's podcast. Anything for you? Well, this has been... Mostly Peyton Jones today and a little bit of Pete Mitchell on the Church Planner Podcast. <laughs> Reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you got to go where nobody's doing. No, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. I'm just saying, I'm 40 years old and I was out late at a concert last night. And by That's late, my excuse. you mean That's you got like to bed after 1030. One o'clock is like five hours past my bedtime, man. I was tired when the concert started. And you got to do all that stuff. The end. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.